Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi everyone, just a quick favor to ask before we get going. Our podcast has gone from strength to strength lately, but we'd like to find out how we can improve. We've put together a short survey and we would love to get your feedback. Anyone who takes the time to give their feedback will be entered into competitions where they can win prizes such as smartphones, cameras and drones. So please visit irishtechnews.ie forward slash podcast dash feedback. That's irishtechnews.ie forward slash podcast dash feedback. Fill out the survey and to be in with a chance of winning one of those great prizes. Thanks for your time, and now back to the podcast. Hi, welcome to today's Art Technics Podcast. Today I'm talking with Marie Kress, product owner of Viego. How are you doing, Marie? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me today. No problem. Now, before we start, tell us a bit about your background so we know who you are. So, I'm originally from Germany, and I've been working and living in Slovenia for the past five years um, in the Mobility Innovation Lab of Viego, which is now part of Endava. Yeah. And essentially, we're a big IT company who's focused on innovating ground mobility and very active in thought leadership in mobility as a service. Yeah, so tell me a bit more about uh, mobility as a service, or MAS. How did that start? So essentially, MAS is a movement that started on the basis of seeing the inefficiencies in transport that we have nowadays and with largely privately car private car owned (laughs) um, transport and uh, this movement really started around um, 2012 2015 and there were a few thought leaders that were um, starting this movement one of them which was a strong voice is Sampo Hitanen from Finland who then also founded his company Mass Global and in 2015 they founded the Mass Alliance which was a really strong um, Alliance, which is still um, very active nowadays, and in 2017 around, they started to release the first white paper on mobility as a service, trying to create a framework. And nowadays in this alliance, there's a lot of the um, global players getting together yeah. and trying to, because it's a new thing for everyone, it's a market that's really restructuring. And you want to find a framework that allows newcomers into the market as well as find the position for the institutions that were there before for cities, for public transport, for the car manufacturers, so for the taxi companies. So how do you create a framework that creates a positive upside for the travelers, for the yeah. customers, as well as for them, all the players in the ecosystem, which is not a very easy task, turns out, after a lot of years of research, right? Yeah, but I guess it's easier now because because smartphones are more prevalent, so you, you can develop apps that can link different transport together. Like you can get an app that can link buses together with trains or maybe airplanes. Yeah, so it's there is one layer, which is the application layer. But if you look at it, it's this is just the tip of the iceberg because yeah. you need a regulatory framework that is not hindering innovation but also kind of steering it in the right direction you cannot just have companies flooding the market with different mobility solutions it needs to make sense for every city for every region so you have the regulatory framework level of it you have 
which is one um, big still open question mark is like how will the business model work like how do different players connect to each other no one wants to be um, just orchestrated by one big platform which then takes all the data all the users right so what is a democratic way of structuring all these different services together so the user can connect to them in a really easy way yeah because from the user perspective you want to have one entry point for all the solutions right from bus to train to a taxi to a car sharing to whatever but from the company's perspective it's not that easy because you don't want to have um one platform which takes control of all the services right yeah so um also regarding payments if you look at it historically there were cars and public transport and public transport wasn't necessarily designed to create a profit so how do you structure such a system which is essentially building on public transport and adding different mobility services around public transport. How do you now structure this to not live only off public subsidies? How does this generate value? Because with the entry of the private sector into this mobility game, there is an expectation towards profitability, which wasn't there before, right? So this is a big um, thing on the path towards uh, mobility as a service becoming the main reality in transport. This is one thing which um, needs to be discussed and needs to be solved in a good way. Yeah, and also I'm thinking right now we're slowly getting more and more used to electric scooters. They're not becoming more popular because they're changing regulations to allow them to go on, on our public roads. Yeah, so this is one thing which um, I mentioned before with the regional specifics, like you cannot just roll out. A lot of times um, we hear like, okay, mobility is a service, it's like Netflix, you just subscribe and you will get all the, not movies, yeah. but in this case, all the mobility. But it's very um, still your, even if you book your trip in the digital world and you pay for it in a digital way from your smartphone, you still consume it in the physical world. Yeah. So this requires infrastructure, meaning there needs to be a player which has the scooter in this case and that also is allowed to park it in a certain area of the city. And you see now, for example, some scooter companies that have geofenced areas where they're allowed to park in a city and other areas where you're allowed to drive through but you're not allowed to park your or end your rent. So all those things kind of play into this of how people can consume mobility and it should be structured in a way that it actually makes sense, right? You don't want to just have the availability but it needs to make sense in terms of like we will see sort of mobility hubs forming where you get off a train or a bus and you can connect from there to other mobility services yeah. right to get you to the last mile to your home to wherever you need to go so um and this will depend the offering that is there will depend on the geography like if you're living in a place that's very hot um, in in weather, you might not want to have uh, bicycle sharing there because no one will cycle if it's um, incredibly hot all the day, right? Yeah. So it needs to be adjusted to the local circumstances, which includes weather, which includes the regulations, which includes the road infrastructure. Um, all those things need to be taken into consideration when building this ecosystem and trying to connect it in a way that it benefits the city and the users. And also, I've seen some some of these smart scooters. They detect if you're on a footpath or on a beach area where it's crowded, the speed will decrease. 
where when it's on the road, it, it goes at a top speed, which is which, which mm. is nice. Exactly, all those things, and this is um, a lot of those innovations, like uh, the one you mentioned with um, automated speed control. This comes with trial and error, right? Like yeah. in the beginning, there were no speed limits. People were just cruising around. It, it created dangers for them, for the people who were around, and the companies had to kind of pivot and adjust it over time to have it better suited. Like there is not a lot of <laughs> experience we can go back to in terms of mobility as a service. It's a very new concept, a very new thing which is still far from maturity. But um, we've been active in this field for the past five, six years very actively. And it's very interesting to see how it's forming, how it's taking shape. And I'm sure that we're really on the verge of um, this movement picking up and a lot more people, maybe also throughout the pandemic when they haven't used their privately owned car now for over a year. Some people might be ready to... um, rely on mobility as a service more to see that it offers more flexibility than ownership of a vehicle potentially. So we will see how things develop, but I'm sure that this will just gain more traction in the years to come. It's to me it's like back in the early 1900s when we were still using horse and carriage and horses and then we moved to cars. This is going to be like that. Within 10 years' time, it'll be, it'll be kind of like New Detroit, where everyone's going to have all these, all these different autonomous vehicles and mass, mass options there, whereas right now we're still getting it. And like when Henry Ford was building his first car, people weren't sure how, how the cars were, would they, would they work, who's going to buy them. Now they're being, we're going to see them in use more and more. Yeah, and if you look at this um, picture you're drawing here, people still nowadays own horses and people still in 10, 20 years will own cars. It's just will go from a daily transportation towards more of a hobby, right? Yeah. But there is definitely car enthusiasts that will always own cars because it's their, their passion, their hobby. But it doesn't mean that it necessarily means the main <clears throat> transportation choice for the majority of people on a daily basis. Yeah. And there are two main components, if you ask me, it's like information and availability. That needs to come in alignment because if you have, if you see on the street vehicles like scooters, cars, bikes, but you don't know how to rent them, it's just as frustrating as if you have the information that there's no vehicles around you. Yeah. So you need to have the the infrastructure, the vehicles there, and you need to have an easy way to access them and have information. Or when we were talking about public transport, it's also important to know the increasing um, speed or of digitalization of the public transport, where in a lot of places you didn't really have online schedules for a few years ago for the buses and for the trains. Whereas now you almost everywhere can book a train, even like get your ticket through your smartphone Mm -hmm. and at the minimum see the schedules at a reliable reliable way to allow you to plan your trip with public transport. And I've seen now where we have a thing now where basically you, you can get an app for a bus in Dublin and it, it can tell you uh, which buses are coming at a certain time with a bus stop near you. And then when you get the bus stop, it has real time. It tells you how long the way without certain buses. And <clears throat> that's going to be more and more used with automatic services. So, so if you want to book a taxi, for example, it might tell you there's 20 taxis available at this time and then tell you when the peak times and it's going to be hard to book one, or when are they going to be the off-peak times when you can book them very easily? 
Yeah, definitely. And um, also now on Google Maps already, you can see that um, they have increasing information about um, the occupancy of the vehicle. So you can yeah. choose. This is, I think, a key um, factor for people also now through the COVID pandemic to decide, do you want to take that bus, which is very crowded, or do you want to wait 10 minutes and take the next one, which is... Um, less full right yeah so the, all those things all those information we have from different um data points will increasingly um have a better user experience for people in all stages of the mobility trip right like a key be thing being payments you don't want to go to a machine that is touched by a thousand people per day you want you largely prefer yeah. booking it on your own smartphone and having the ticket on your smartphone, right? Yeah. I like the ability right now, if I'm paying things, I think it's shops, I just, I just use my phone or my watch. Yeah. I don't have to go and touch anything else, and it does that. I'll, I'll smile to the person, okay, and I'm paying on my watch, and press button on the watch, and that's it done. And I haven't touched any, any of their devices, anything else, and I've used them all tied, so I know that what I'm doing is safe and clean. In the future, you're going to see more of that. And also... If you're using the same tech service every day, they're going to know where you're going because normally you're going to from work and they can they know that and they can predict, okay, Joe Ronan's going to work and he wants to, or Marie's going to work and they want, they're going to be at work by nine. So they're going to be downstairs at half eight in the morning at this time and they will know when you're going to be there and also they will, they can tell by what's going on traffic wise, what's the best route to get to work and in the future, always planning and always knowing, okay, this route we're going to go now, that's busy, but we'll go that route, it's going to be, be better for you. Yeah, so if you look at mobility as a service, there's different level, levels of integration. And at the moment, we're, there's, let's say, five levels of integration, five being the highest one where you're actually including the societal goals and the city planning into your um, mobility as a service structure. Where at the moment, we are mostly at the information stage where we know where we know about the different mobility options, but they're largely not integrated together. Yeah. So as we move along this uh, different levels of integration, there will be a higher level of multimodal trip planning, meaning you go from A to B and you use maybe a taxi to the train station, then you use a train and then you use a taxi or a car sharing from yeah. there. Um, and further down in the future, you will be wanting to pay this trip in one go. You don't want to pay the taxi driver, then you don't want to pay at the train station, and then the next, uh, the car sharing through your app, right? So this requires a whole new level of integration in the back throughout the different yeah. players to kind of split that fare, account for the payment, and um, this is something which definitely will be tackled in the years to come. It's um, at the moment we see a lot of, I would call it like island solutions. We have more and more solutions out there. They're yeah. not perfectly connected yet. You have the first multi-model planning, but more on the information layer that it gives you a route that includes different um, mobility modes. Um, and you can maybe then also select according to your personal preferences. Do not include bikes, do not include a bus or whatever. For, for different days or for your um, general mobility preferences. And then it's like there are already solutions that can, based on your location, give you a route constructed of different mobility modes yeah. to, to get from A to B, which is a big step, right? Yeah, and also 
Actually, it allows you to choose. It'll give you its uh, different various solutions. You can go from A to B using this, this, or this. Which one do you want to use? Mm. Which is nice. And a big player, obviously, is Google Maps. Yeah. And um, in the past year, they also announced that um, they will enable payment because before it was purely informative, right? Like you can select your route, you yeah. can see how to get from A to B. And now they also include it in certain regions, an option to pay for that service directly through the Google Maps, which is a big step. Yeah, because I can see as, as we're using more and more uh, smart technology, smartphones and smartwatches, that's going to become a more of a standard feature. I also want to raise the point of data sharing. So everything we're talking about is enabled by data, which yeah. we gather from the infrastructure, I mean, the data about the occupancy of the bus is um, determined by the, the smartphones of people on the bus, right? You can rate it on Google, for example. They would ask you after your ride how full was the bus. Yeah. Um, you have information that's coming from the scooter sharing companies, from the ride sharing companies. All of those gather loads amounts of data. And we, when we find a good way to use this data, we can drastically improve the service quality. But again, um, it's just the start of finding a framework on how to enable open data sharing without creating competitive disadvantages yeah. for the companies sharing their data. And also, um, a lot of times in the discussions, when you're talking about public transport versus private transport operators, um, there's often a lot of pressure on the public transport to make their data openly available and there's also pushback from that side, like why would the public transport operators be required to share their data and uh, provide APIs for others to use this when, on the other hand, the private sector is keeping their data to themselves. Yeah. So this way, when the industry will find a consensus on how to really, in a win-win situation, let's say, share, make the data available for the ecosystem, this will um, greatly impact the quality of services being provided to the user. Yeah, and also, I guess, you've got to make sure data is also anonymized. So it, it, it doesn't Definitely, matter who you yeah. are. Because for me, the worst thing is when you've got all this data flying around, how do you make sure that data just doesn't say, that was that was me, that was Ronan? It gives a rough idea of who you are, where you're based, and maybe your, your age range and your sex, a man or a woman, or whatever you are. It says basically uh, how old you are. But it's not going to say how rich you are or, or give you your exact name and date of birth because you don't need to know that. No, no, definitely not. Also, um, I think it's more in the in the beginning will be more about commuting patterns. Yeah. Like also for the city to understand how are people moving nowadays. This will give them a great insight into how to do the planning for like Currently, if you look at the city's role, it's like they're giving subsidies to the public transport, they're um, doing the transport planning, infrastructure planning for the city. But And now with more and more mobility as a service offerings coming up, the city will need to be the, let's say, deciding authority of like who gets to use which part of the infrastructure of space, of parking spots, of dedicated, let's say, through COVID, we saw pop-up bicycle lanes, like... And currently we live in cities here in Europe which are mostly dedicated um, towards car infrastructure. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look at it, the city can play a vital role in like redirecting the infrastructure used to different mobility services, to different options. Like, do you give good parking spaces to the car sharing scheme to make it more attractive? And um, do you give rights to the scooter sharing to even drive in your city and uh, make it in a way that it makes sense for the user, right? Yeah, because in the long term, you're going to want to have a scenario that people want to use service and make them feel welcome. And knowing that when yeah. they're using it, they're not going to be abused. They're not going to use their data and sell it on so that more people are using it. They want to make sure that everything you do is anonymous and that wants to give you a good experience. They want to reuse it. Yeah, and also then making it easily accessible, the, the mobility offering of the city to people who are moving there or who are tourists and just stay for a while like you want to make it easily accessible for everyone for me my personal um, favorite example at the moment is the public transport in london yeah. because i've never had a public transport system that's so easy to pay for as a visitor you yeah. just need your contactless credit card you don't need to deal with the ticket machine with different fares they just calculate the fare for you you tap in and tap out with your credit card and I'm thinking this didn't require really a lot of innovative um, new vending machines or whatever. You just need to use the existing infrastructure in a smart way, right? Because they had before an Oyster card, which was great as well. You could tap in, tap out. And I've got a few. My brother used to live in London. So I'd go across visit him and I'd have an Oyster card that could travel around. And then an early maybe thing called Leap Card, which you can use on buses and, and trams and trains. And you just tap on, tap off, which is mm. great as well. And now they've got an app you can use on your phone to do all that. And to me, it's great because you don't have to worry about basically um, how much of a what journey going to cost. And if, if you're paying by this rather than cash, it's cheaper to give you a discount, which is great. Mm. Yeah, but like um, as a mm. tourist in London, you don't need to download an app. Yeah. You don't need to get a card. Like if, if you're living there, you can still get the Oyster card, right? Yeah. But now you don't need to deal with really anything. There is no entry um, barrier to the That's public good. transport. You just go, you have yeah. a contactless credit card and you ha you're done, right? So this for me, it's my personal favorite example for now for really making it hassle-free to use the public transport. Because when I was last in London, about, I think 2017, they didn't have that option then. They do now. And I know that they were going to bring it in. I thought, mm. That's great because at times I'd be wondering, where did I put the Oyster card and brother gave me last year? Well, I've got to try and find it. Whereas, not have to worry about your card. The fact that you can tap on, tap off is great. And also, you'd be worried, if I lose my card, how much money on there have I lost? You, you, you can't go and get it, get it, say, I lost my Oyster card, can I get it replaced? Whereas, if you lose your debit or credit card, it can be replaced pretty easily. That's true. Yeah. No, so the, I really like that example. So, it's like, we need to find good solutions on how to make transport accessible for people, to make it attractive, to get them to pick this over privately owned cars on a regular basis. Because the, um, I think we're very far ahead when it comes to like um, the different mobility apps and you have really great service through Google Maps and mapping. And there's a lot of great solutions out there, but in the end, you need to educate and reroute person like people's um daily behavior and we know that it's really hard to change behaviors yeah um especially when um we have a solution which is very convenient right now like in 
the places that we live in in our countries, it's not really a big hassle to own a car, right? Like there's no major disadvantage. We yes. have great infrastructure. Most places have a lot of parking spaces. Sure, now we have rising taxes. Cost of ownership is higher, but when you can afford it, there's no real disadvantage of having the car. So yeah. mobility as a service needs to create a lot of upsides while the governance side will still most likely discourage um, car usage, especially in urban areas. But it is a fact, and I'm acknowledging this, is that for the time being, have fully relying on mobility as a service is um, quite a privilege for people who live in urban areas. Yeah. So for suburban and rural areas, there is no great solution for the time being. And obviously, due to the occupancy rates and um, the minimum required um, amount of people using it, there will be the most solutions are in urban areas and it will take some time to, for this to spread outside of city um, city borders. But um, overall, I do believe that we're on a great track with mobility as a service to actually make a mark and make an impact. And we do have to change our mobility behavior because transport is one of the main polluters. We see it in a lot of cities yeah. here that we cannot mm -hmm. continue like that. And it's a great entry point and a very promising one to sustainably change the mobility ecosystem and the commuting patterns, yeah. I think the pandemic has made us realize that. And with, during the pandemic, we're seeing less and less cars on the road. So people are realizing that there must be a better way. So because of that, we can plan for it right now. And within about 10 years' time, it will, it will be normal to, to, to see masses uh, being used a lot more than, than a privately owned car. Definitely. I mean, we see through the pandemic that now let's say the traffic of mass was a little bit rerouted from how it was before, maybe a little bit um, lower in terms of public transport and higher in individual transport like scooter sharing, bike sharing yeah. or personal bikes. But um, nonetheless, I'm very positive that um, the trend will continue to rise um, in favor of mobility as a service in all shapes and forms. And this enables when more people will use it and rely on it, it enables to further improve also the offering, which then, again, it's an upward spiral, right? Yeah. So, and also, as we discussed before, the, the, the whole contactless, um, ticketing contactless payment um, that was really pushed throughout the pandemic is a great uh, accelerator from, for mobility as a service as well, because it gives a great deal of convenience for people. Yeah, and also it means you're more secure. Like when I said earlier about going in to buy things, I can use my, my phone or watch. I'm not touching anything else. So by not touching the screen, it's being used with somebody else. It's safer for you as well. You, can, you feel more reassured. Definitely, yeah. And it's like even when um, COVID will be a forgotten thing, hopefully, <laughs> in yeah. the future, um, or it will not be around anymore, we will still benefit from those um innovations that came from this phase right people will still use the contactless options it's a it's a great convenient um, thing that will remain and um, definitely I do believe also the remote work enables us in the future to have a more flexible schedule maybe also relocate more often digital nomads will um, move around and then it's a great advantage to not be 
be tied down by owning any vehicle somewhere, but wherever you go, you just connect to the mobility as a service ecosystem and you're good to go. And also, in the future, when you go into an office, there'll be an office where there is no car space because you're using mass service to get to from work. Definitely. So yeah, I do believe that um, in the long term, when we look at the vision, there will still be cars around, as I said, for the strong enthusiasts. But um, what we're trying to target is the main mass of like daily commutes and daily things that need to be done. And they need to cover a variety of use cases, including moving goods, moving groceries, moving your kids with kids' seats. When all of those cases are covered, people can fully rely on mobility as a service. And um, with more people relying on it, um, the operators are able to further improve the offering. Yeah, that's going to be good. That's and right. I, I just think in the long term, we're going to see a lot more maybe flying vehicles, flying taxis as well. Definitely urban airspace is something which is uncaptured, largely uncaptured at the moment. And we will see different layers of um, of transport, like we will still have ground transport, underground transport, then um, above street transport with, let's say, um, the supported air rail systems where yeah. you're still on a rail or um, different funicular systems and then also passenger drones, delivery drones, smaller helicopters in different um, vertical parts of the airspace as yeah. well. And maybe using more boats in the river, river boats, submarines, different things you could use. I think once the mobility as a service ecosystem is there, it should be agnostic to the vehicle, right? Yeah. So whatever gets you from A to B the fastest might just be a hyperloop or a above city rail system. And it should be able to plug into any infrastructure that's available in different regions and any vehicles that can bring you from A to B at different price points. But um, I do still believe that the backbone will be public transport and everything else will plug into it because it's the most sustainable, cost-effective transport systems we have for moving um, large amounts of people. Um, and then all the other offerings will be around this. And obviously, if you wish to have a private transport for an important meeting or something, you can always book that as well. Yeah. But I'm not talking about them. 80% share of the daily commutes that will cover the majority of use cases. And then currently, you still have to bridge the first and last mile. Yeah. And there we will see an increase in all varieties of different offerings to connect you to the main um, transport hubs. And also, I'm thinking long term, we're going to see a more greener, more greener uh, environment because of this. Definitely, we will be able to free up space in cities that are occupied by parking or dedicated road infrastructure that can be repurposed. And um, I do believe it is on every agenda if you look in Europe and beyond at the European Green Deal or at China's hydrogen agenda, for example, it is very clear that we cannot simply replace the combustion engines with, elect um, with electric battery vehicles. But um, we really have to 
reduce the amounts of vehicles on the streets, increase the occupancy of those, the utilization, and all those vehicles that will be around um, definitely will be propelled in a sustainable way. Yeah. Otherwise, we're not fixing the issues that we're facing nowadays, right? No, and I, I think the future is going to be, we're going to be looking at a, at a more greener environment when there's less uh, combustion engines being used, more, le- more electric stuff being used. And I did a podcast two years ago, with a, it was last year, with a, co- with a group of guys in Kazakhstan University that developed a road that can charge your car. So as you're driving on the road, it's, it charges your car as you're driving. And that, to me, is something else that's going to... We're going to see a lot more of those technologies come along as well. Yeah, if you look at also on highways, this will be very feasible to have induction um, panels underneath the street that yeah. can charge, for example, electric trucks along the way because it will um, work nicely. They will be at a steady speed on over long distances on the highway. So we will see a lot of different innovations pop up around this ecosystem, definitely. And when we're talking about um, urban and intercity transport, I am very sure that there is. Um, we are at the start of a very great way to solve people's mobility needs in a very effective and user-friendly way. Yeah, I think we're in the start of a new revolution. And it's, it's like basically 200 years ago when we, when we brought in uh, like steam and uh, we went into the mechanical age. And now then, then 100 years later, we did it with combustion engines. We're now doing it, doing it again with electric engines and, and mass. And that's going to be nice to see. Yeah, and if you're thinking about it, it's not merely replacing your personal vehicle that you have in front of your house today with a different one with a battery inside. It's really a rethinking of our daily habits and patterns. And this is why it will take some time for people to... Currently, you don't really have to think a lot. Your car is parked, you take your key, and you go wherever you need to because, you know, there will be a parking spot for you. You know, there's petrol stations for you on the side. It's like a no-brainer. You can... You don't have to plan. And nowadays, still for using only mobility as a service, there is a certain degree of planning your journey, right? So once this also becomes a no-brainer and people are like, okay, I will just, I have my phone, I have everything I need, and I know there's a mobility option out there. But to get there, it will, it's, it will take a while. And also I'm aware that it will not be and switch overnight of the entire population switching to mobility as a service, but we have different parts and groups of the population that are more or less ready for this switch. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely okay to have. There are already now, um, I live in Ljubljana, and I see more and more newspaper articles of people and journalists that are like, okay, we, I sold my privately owned car, here's the report of how it went, and they're sharing the experience. And this inspires more and more people that identify themselves with those people and be like oh maybe i can do it as well yeah so it's a slow movement there are some people that already did the step there are some people that are very close to and if it's only selling your second car like your second family car and having only one car for the family it's a great step already right yeah so it will be a slower movement some people will take more time to for example if you just had a young child you most likely don't want to rely on a carless life at the moment for the time being but it will take some time different people will be ready at different times and all the industry can do is continue to improve the offering to make it um, better for people to cover more different use cases and to enable people to make the switch sooner or later 
And uh, I guess on that note, I'll say thanks for uh, for uh, a great podcast, Marie. Good luck in the future, and hopefully, if we, when we when we talk again, mass will be everywhere. I hope so too. Thank you for having me. It was really great no talking problem. to you thanks. today. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore Tech News on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, TikTok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.